Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Hidden Pot- Hidden Figures podcast. Apologies for the very long hiatus, but um, I'm definitely back. Uh, big shout out to Channel 4 and its internal Bain Network, The Collective, for helping make this happen, with a special shout out to Megan, Jessica, and Dimitri, especially. Um, so just as a quick recap for those who've never listened to the podcast before, this is called the Hidden Figures podcast, and essentially it's a conversation between, um, well, it's designed to be a conversation between millennials and people from a slightly older generation um, with just a conversation about their lives, their journeys, and their paths to success, and also hopefully some advice um, for us as millennials. Um, so today I'm really excited to have um, a man who I feel doesn't really need an introduction, but nevertheless, um, the uh, I'm recording live from Parliament with um, the MP for Tottenham, David Lammy, uh, former minister, uh, Labour frontbencher, from what I understand, the, the youngest MP to enter Parliament in the post-war era. Um, and uh, interestingly, I guess, given the climate right now, there's lots of uh, political questions to ask, but I don't actually want to go into the politics. I'd much rather ask, talk to you about you and your life. Um, so I'm going to start off kind of right from the beginning. Um, I know you were born in North London in Tottenham uh, to Guyanese parents. I'm personally from North West London, so I'm quite familiar with uh, the area. Um, and I know it's, it's always been, at least in my life, a hub for the black community, but I just want to know from from yourself, uh, what was it like growing up in Tottenham in the 70s and the 80s? Well, thank you very much for um, having me. And do excuse the bells, because we're in Parliament and buzzing and noise and all the rest of it. Um, I hope there's not a vote whilst we're speaking or the big bells will go off, (laughs) fingers crossed. Um, Growing up in Tottenham during the 1970s and 80s, well, the first thing to say is that I grew up in a typically West Indian home. Mm -hmm. And therefore just so that you can picture that typically West Indian home. Um, You know, my mother took great pride in its cleanliness. Um, It it was, you know, deep pile carpet and big heaters. Um, In the early days, before central heating, you'd have paraffin heaters. and Lots of my guests um, uh, but then you move on to big central heating and, and, and anyway, but basically a Caribbean home is always hot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because people feel the cold and, um, you know, I'm afraid plastic all over the carpets and, the, you know, and, and on the sofas yeah. and doilies and ornaments. And so that, that, that's just the home I grew, grew up in. Yeah. And music, a lot of music, playing on vinyl records, reggae, soul, um, pop. Oh, I, I can't. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, a, a whole range, but yeah. basically music around. That yeah, uh, my parents liked parties, so they would hold a lot of parties, and uncles, and cousins, and friends, and kids, and you know. So in in that that side of it was joyous and wonderful small life you know the 70s 80s you don't move we didn't move that much from Tottenham Um, we would go to South London occasionally to see relatives only ever went south then very rarely in 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 town I said to people before when I took my seat in Westminster I'd never been to Westminster before in my life I'd never come out of that tube station didn't you know um 
but what I would also say about growing up in Tottenham in the 70s and 80s is um, I was aware, I had elder brothers, um, my eldest brother now, 61, who, you know, there are the parliamentary bells. Does that mean you need to go? It may mean I need to go. No, it doesn't. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. Let's see. Can you pause this? Do you get to press pause so that you don't... Yeah, we'll just... We'll just you re-record the question. Um, just got to see... No, I think it... Yeah, it's a division. Got to go, guys. I'll be back. Yeah. Ten Bye. minutes. Do you want me to go straight back into it? Yeah, just go straight back yeah. into it, yeah. Tell me when. Yeah, we're ready. But there was a you know, a tough side to growing up in Tottenham in the 70s and 80s. Um, my older brothers, their friends, were being stopped and searched by the police, the old sus laws that we called them. There was, you know, the schools weren't great. A lot of black boys were failing in the schools. They weren't putting black boys in for GCSE O levels. They were being put in for another exam called CSE, which was less than. Mm -hmm. um, so it was also, there was also, a, you know, fights would be quite regular. I remember there was a sense of intimidation. There weren't the black role models in those days at all. So not even on television or anything. So, you know, you lived a very parochial life, very small, very conscious of being different. Um, very, very conscious of being different, isolated, um, and racism very frequent. Um, and your parents, my parents working very hard, um, but very much Caribbean, you know, keep your head down, mm -hmm. you're not, you know, you're not really British sort yeah. of thing. Um, so that, that played on your mind and that begun to sort of get under your skin. Yeah. Um, and so I know when you were about 10-ish, uh, and I heard, I was listening to another Channel 4 interview, did Mrs. Shepherd, I believe, uh, encouraged you to, to go off to um, a, uh, or you got a scholarship to, to study at school in, all the way in Peterborough. Um, I, one, how much do you kind of attribute your, who you are today to the fact that you were able to go out of the area and school out of the area? Um, and two, what was it, having sort of grown up in such a black environment, for want of a better term, what was it like now going to, I assume, probably an all-white school and being, being very clearly and obviously the other? So this was the time of Alid Jones getting to the charts with Walking in the Air. We were a very Christian family. My mother certainly. We went to church. I sang in the choir. Mm. Um, I sang at school. People began to say, look, David's got a good voice. He could go to a choir school. Mm. Um, and um, Mrs. Shepherd, my um, music teacher at primary school, really believed in me and encouraged that, pushed it, and helped my mum apply. Um, my dad was still around, and he was sort of supportive. He didn't do much work, but he went with me to the interviews. He was proud of yeah. the idea of me going away to school. Um, it wasn't all white school. You know, I got in, I passed the voice trial. It was a state school, but it was yeah. a boarding school. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> it, you know, it wasn't easy. I mean, there was a lot of racism. I mean, I remember the kids used to draw my name next to the gollywog on the Robinson's jam jar. And 
I had teachers, I remember a teacher saying to me, if you've been for a respray, once when I came out of the showers after a, after playing rugby, I think it was. Mm. So it, it was, it, it, you know, it wasn't easy, yeah. but it was a pastoral environment. I knew it was an academically sound environment. And over time, I began to flourish, but there were lots of ups and downs. I guess in terms of my story, mm. it did make a big difference. It made a difference because the truth was Tottenham was beginning to go up in flames. I mean, the, mm. the, the riots occurred two years after, maybe, you know, 18 months after I left to go to Peterborough. Mm -hmm. So that gives you an indication of how tough things were yeah. back in Tottenham. I, I was coming back every other weekend, but it was, it was tough. Um, and my parents' marriage was going south. I mean, yeah. it was really not great at home either. Yeah. So for me, David Lammy, being out of that, even though, even though King's School Peterborough wasn't all rosy, yeah. and I was up and down emotionally, and being the only black kid in a white school, there were all sorts of, you know, in those days I used to have a, um, a curly perm and why are you greasing your yeah. hair and... You know, there's so many confusions <laughs> about yeah. being, where do you get your black products in Peterborough? Yeah. All, all, there were those sort of basic things. And I was very, very homesick at first. Yeah. I cried and I want to go home and, you know, all of that stuff. But in the end, I knew I was getting an opportunity. Mm. Um, what I sometimes say, though, is I had a couple of really great friends in Tottenham who are I'm still great friends to this day. Yeah. One of them, Patrick Cozier, did not leave. He stayed. He went to the local secondary school that I would have gone to. He is now the head teacher of Highgate Wood School. Mm -hmm. Patrick's one of my heroes. Yeah. Um, so I don't think you have to go away. Not, yeah. Patrick's parents' marriage mm -hmm. was more solid than mine. Mm -hmm. um, he had a wonderful parents, very loving, and they were more solid than kept than 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 than, than, than mine. And, um, and he had an elder sister who was very responsible also, whereas, you know, my family was a little bit more boys, my older brothers, it was a bit more, bit different. So um, I would say for me, uh, that was my big break. Yeah. It could have gone really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I could have ended up very mixed up in my head. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't go wrong. Yeah. Um, I flourished. I got great GCSEs. I did okay in my A-levels. Um, I became head boy of the school in the end. Oh, yeah. I overcame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I definitely realised it was an opportunity and I mm. begun to dream and want to be a barrister and I was encouraged in that. Yeah. Because um, of time, I think I'd go into it a bit more, but I, I've got quite a similar story. Not that I didn't go all the way to Peterborough, but mm. I went to a grammar school outside of my area, um, which was a very well, non-black school, let me put it that way. Um, but I'm also curious, so obviously you spoke about your parents' marriage um, and you, I, from what I understand, your dad left when you were around 12. Yes, he had a drink problem as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard. Um, and the home environment was just very tumultuous, it mm. sounds like. Um, and you've also spoken about, you know, struggles your mum had in terms of paying the bills when he'd left and so on and so forth. Um, you know, that's a really crucial time for young kids, especially um, growing up in, 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 in an area like Tottenham where there's a lot of sort of, um, there's, a, there's a whole different economy, let's just put it that way. Um, how, bearing, obviously knowing that you'd gone to school in Peterborough so you were somewhat insulated, um, what, what 
catch you away from getting dragged into that world um, when there's so much happening. That's usually often a time when, especially in the circumstances. Look, I think it's, I think, yeah. So what I would say is um, I had a formidable mother Mm. um, and I was blessed with the mother I had. Mm. Um, She valued education. She could be quite strict and quite fierce, but she was also my best friend mm. um, for my adult life um, um, uh, until she died. Mm. She was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So that was important. I had key mentors in my life. I had a couple of uncles mm. that really took an interest. So they had strong black men who didn't oh, just, God. after my dad left, were present in my life. Mm. Um, and they had good jobs. One was an accountant, the other was a sort of um, engineer. Mm. They came to what we would say our yard all the time. Yeah. They would sit, they would drink their malt and, yeah. and, and talk. And, you know, so they, they were present in my life. I also, I think, was the kind of kid that um, found mentors. I got on with my teachers, not yeah. all of them, but there were always one or two that were special and yeah. took an interest. Um, later on, professors, lecturers. Mm. I had a wonderful, my local priest mm. that had helped me go to King's, stayed around, very present in my life. I would go, it was a bit like therapy and just yeah, sit with him. Imagine, and yeah. So I, I, I think one of the things that got me, kept me going was I had some great mentors. We didn't mm. call them mentors, but, but they were adults yeah. who took an interest in me and wanted to keep me on the straight and narrow yeah. um, alongside my mother. There were temptations. Look, there were temptations. There were foolishness. There was, you know, I, I had a serious temper. Yeah. I could lose my temper and flip. Mm. Um, and there were one or two occasions that were, that were definitely, you know, I could have got into a lot of trouble yeah. and worries me these days because I just think that our society's got a lot harder about second chances. I, I, I don't think agree. you get to lose your temper. I, I think if you, if you get stopped and searched by the police and you've got a little bit of weed, you can end up with a criminal record that can damage your whole life. Um, I think, and I think that the social media, um, the, the elements of, 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 of a, a violence and things that are tolerated and, you, you can go down rabbit holes today, real rabbit holes, mm. um, that are not actually going to help you have a productive life. Uh, you know, you can smoke a joint and end up seriously skunked off your head yeah. uh, permanently. Yeah. You, can, you, can, you can end up, you know, you listen to one drill tune and you just, you know, Spotify feeds you the next, and before you know it, you're into a world, right? Yeah. It's mad. So that was not present for me. I I think that it was more mixed up, uh, more generalized. I think parents, um, mentors, those who support young people have to be way, way more vigilant Mm. and have to slightly find ways to interrupt the private or peer domain that young people live in Mm. and can completely dwell in in today's society in a way that they, 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 I think it was harder when I was growing up. Um, think about time. Uh, so I'd, I'd heard you say that sort of over the last 40 years, uh, four, four um, young black people have been killed, or not necessarily young, but four black people have been killed 
by the police at once a decade or on, on average. Um, you, you spoke about the riots or you alluded to the riots earlier. Um, what, what did those riots and that experience mean to you and the people in the community at the time? And obviously the recent riots with Mark Dug over Mark Duggan's death. Um, almost how much do you feel, one, the relationship between the community and the police has changed? Um, but two, in terms of just the almost disparity in, in, in the area and in of itself that, that sort of drives people to go out and somewhat trash their own communities out of rage, for want of a better term. Well, the first thing to say is Tottenham today is a slightly different community to Tottenham when I was growing up. Tottenham today has 200 languages. Mm. Tottenham's biggest communities today are Kurdish-speaking Kurds, um, Somalis, mm -hmm. um, as well as a Caribbean and now increasingly mixed race group of young yeah. people yeah. Um, and new large Ghanaian, African. Um, I would say that's the largest yeah. black population. So it, 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 this is a diverse community, mm. much more diverse than the than Caribbean, was. Irish, Cockney and Cypriot community that I effectively was growing yeah. up in, right? Um, so I would say um, the, the riots, of course, are connected. Mm. They're connected to a perceived sense of injustice mm. by the police. Um, and, um, you know, in, in Tottenham, in the Broadwater Farm riots, Joy Gardner lost her life mm. that led to the riots, and Mark Duggan lost his life in the second set of riots. Yeah. And, you know, it's definitely the case that um, uh, I can see across the families caught up in both riots, there are, there are commonalities and histories mm. that, that run through both. Having said that, um, we don't want to overstate that because I always say that there were, there was a sense I think in 1985 that this was, and the riots not just in Tottenham but Brixton just yeah. before that, Handsworth um, in Birmingham, uh, you know, um, black communities. Yeah. I, there was a sense of the black community really feeling really dispossessed yeah. and black youth feeling really dispossessed and some real injustices. I think today it feels a bit more complex than that. Mm. I think that the, the um, um, many young people were not on the streets during the riots of Mark Duggan, they weren't. And many people took opportunities because the, the policing was so yeah. poor. Um, and actually, if you look at the face of people who were arrested, that, that to say that they were black faces yeah, would be completely yeah. misleading. And it became a national story about Britain. So, so um, I think there are some complexities and differences mm. that I try to talk about in my book uh, just after the riots that came out in 2012. Um, nevertheless, um, we're you know just coming up to date in 2019, gang culture is real. Yeah. Knife crime is real. Very, very. Guns are very. too easily available. Um, um, drugs are prolific. The war on drugs is finished. It doesn't really work. Um, and, and what were mild drugs like cannabis have become potentially, you know, can almost make you mad, yeah. you know. So, so, 
life is tough. Yeah. And I've, I've said coming from, um, you know, I came from, you know, we were in and out of Broadwater Farm. My cousins lived on Broadwater Farm. We lived on a terrace house just beneath the farm, really. I don't know. I think it's quite hard to get from there to be a barrister, to, to, to be an MP. I, yeah. think it's, I, think it's, I don't think it's easy today. And I think inequality in our society, the gap between rich and poor, the way in which our welfare system has been decimated, you know, you know, I, we, my mum had to survive a little bit on benefits. She was working the whole time, mm. but she needed a little bit of child support and things. All of that's been taken away, you know. So zero-hour contracts, all these things that creep in and make mm. life tougher are real. They're real for people in, 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 in my constituency. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so kind of talking about the difficulties of going from A to B, um, what was it like leaving... Tottenham and go well essentially going to SOAS um, I went to LSE so it was right around the corner in fact I was just saying I lived in halls with people from SOAS and UCL and so on and so forth um, but what was it like now sort of leaving Peterborough so you, you kind of been yes. so you're the black person That's in the black world you're the, you, then very you very become question. the black person in the well, white world and now you're uh, in a I, I think I I don't know if I've said this publicly yeah. but it's definitely the case that I I wanted to go to Cambridge okay um, Cambridge um, I didn't want to go to Cambridge. Ma made me a very um, tough offer to get to get in, so I didn't quite get there. Mm. And I came back to London. I'm really grateful I came to SOAS. Mm. SOAS for me, aged 18 to 21, was like soul food. <laughs> uh, SOAS was radical in the sense that as an institution, as a university in London, School of Oriental and African Studies, they, their, their interest is looking at the curriculum, whether you're studying um, law, sociology, politics or history, through a different canon. You know, you're looking at African history, African approaches to law, um, Muslim approaches to law, Muslim approaches to, you know, whatever, whatever the subject is. Um, and that, for me, was mind-bending and exciting. It was a very exciting time to be in London. Politically, Margaret Thatcher was just about to be kicked out of office. Mm. Um, we had the Birmingham Three, the Guildford Four, the Tottenham Three, poll tax riots. It was a very exciting time to be in London. Very political um, university, like LSE. Yeah. Um, uh, so lots happening. And so for me, thank God I came back to London yeah. because I really... It, Peterborough had been good, yeah. but... But I, I needed some root stuff going on, and, and I got a bit of that. It's funny you say that, because for me, like I said, I, I was adamant that I didn't want to go to one of these yeah. top unis outside of London, yeah. because my fear was, having gone to a grammar school where yeah. I was the only one, yeah. I didn't now want to go to... I wanted to stay in London, yeah. where I know it's multicultural, yeah. and I can always tap into yeah. that. Yeah. Um, rather than go off and be in Cambridge or Exeter yeah, yeah, or Durham and yeah, in the middle of nowhere, yeah, I don't like yeah, it, but I'm kind of stuck. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting you say all of that. Um, and then how, how was that flip then to go to Harvard? Now it's that this is the best law school in the world, um, your stateside as well, um, and you're still the guy from Tottenham. Um, you know, what so, was that like? And uh, sorry, if you don't, go on, go just on. to add on to that question as well. Yeah. Um, what was the black experience like as well, sort of being black in the UK versus black in America, because they're very different? So the other thing that happened when I was at SAS was that Stephen Lawrence was murdered. Mm. 
and I that really touched me. That 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 went deep because I could have been Stephen. I was Stephen. Mm. He was a little bit younger than me. He wanted to be an architect, oh, yeah. but his family was my family. Mm. He was standing at the bus stop just like I stood at mm. bus stops with my with my friends. He had ambitions just like I did. So that really touched me. And the fact that there was a massive injustice attached to that. Mm. The young men that had murdered him had not, you know, had, had evaded the yeah. police. There was police corruption. It, I, it, 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 it cuts to the heart of your question because the difference between my experience, even though I was back in London, is that that feeling of being a minority is real. And I often say that, you know, if you're in Europe, whether you're in France, whether you're in Spain, Italy or the UK, you have to come to terms with being a minority. It's not solely about your ethnicity. It's about being a minority. And, and that requires a certain kind of resilience. It means that sometimes the majority don't see, don't care, don't notice it means as a minority that you have to find allies beyond your group. Mm -hmm. This is true if you're disabled, yeah. if you're LGBTQ, often, you know, it's not unique, but, but the, the, the condition of me and my not, a minority, mentally, you have to get your head around and really come to terms with, and that takes time. Um, in a way, if you're living in an inner city environment or you're living in London, you can kind of not see that and not prepare yourself because you can live in a bubble in Tottenham and not really prepare yourself what it means to suddenly work in a, a Channel 4 or, yeah. or a city law firm or a, a context that ain't going to be like Tottenham. <laughs> so, so when I say that, that conditioning, I don't believe. I mean, I think you have to, with young people, you've got to get them out into environments where they're really coming to terms with being a minority. That is just... That, that's never going to change in an old European country. Um, obviously, Harvard was vastly different. I mean, you know, the African-American experience is America. They yeah. built America. Yeah. I'm not suggesting, of course, that my ancestors didn't help build this country, yeah, but they weren't yeah. in situ in quite the same yeah, way. Um, the numbers are different. There's affirmative action in America. The... Um, uh, there has always been, despite Jim Crow's segregation, um, a middle class black yeah. America, separate but middle class, yeah. um, as well as the poverty and other things that you see. So my experience at Harvard was unreal. Uh, for me, going to an elite institution was very special. You know, you go into the library, they haven't got a book, they get embarrassed, they find the book, they get there, buy the book. Here's the book, people pass through Harvard. Um, I enjoy being at the law school. I go back to Boston and Cambridge quite often. The network of Harvard alumni is powerful. It includes the former Shout prime minister and, and uh, president, sorry, that, that, I, that, that I've come to know. So Harvard was a very special experience. There's a long journey and odyssey of black Americans both to Europe, mm -hmm. where they, they gain certain things. Yeah. Um, and indeed, um, you know, black Brits um, and Commonwealth to the States, yeah. where, we, where there's a solidarity and a language around 
structural racism and discrimination that's really empowering. So um, I very much enjoyed my time in the States. I then worked in the States in California uh, afterwards, but I did miss home because the other thing I learned about when I was in the States was that I was English. <laughs> mm. I missed the rain. Oh. I missed Ribena. <laughs> I, I missed tea and Walker's crisps. Um, um, and I missed my mother who was still alive at that point. And I came home. I knew that I wanted to move from law into politics. Wow. Um, Tony Blair had come to power in, in Britain. Labour were back in power. Uh, I wanted to be part of that story. I was becoming aware. I, I left Harvard with unbelievable confidence. I mean, I could take on the world. I mean, I felt really strong at that point in my life. And I, um, I you know, I was, I was roaring and I wanted to be part of what was an exciting Britain at that point. You know, Britain at the point at which Labour won power in 1997 was, you know, it was a sort of, it was sort of opening up. Diana died, the Spice Girls were in the church. It was just opening up yeah. a bit. And I, that felt like I wanted to be part of that. That was part of me. So, so I sort of came back basically um, and very quickly um, found myself um, becoming the MP for Tottenham and, 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 and in politics. Um, and on that note, so I heard you say that Tony Blair initially told you he didn't want you to get pigeonholed into quote-unquote black politics. Um, and I heard you saying that you weren't so... Um, in retrospect, you kind of wish you had been more of an advocate right, 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 right at the start of your career. But I'm also wondering, in terms of Bernie, Bernie um, Grant, your predecessor, obviously he was very much... a big advocate for, for, black, um, for the black community in Britain. Um, and not just the black community, but working class people across the country. But um, kind of what was it like stepping into that legacy? Um, did you feel a pressure to kind of, I guess, take on his torch? No. Um, I was very clear in my mind <laughs> that I could not be Bernie. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't be Bernie. I knew Bernie, I loved Bernie. Yeah. Um, Bernie is family, by the way, you know, Guyanese as well. We're related, okay. actually, in truth. Um, but Bernie was like my parents. Yeah. He was not born in Britain, mm. but unlike my parents, which is why he stood out so much, he had a kind of, he was a sort of lion, really. Yeah. And unlike, there was a sort of timidity to that generation that Bernie never, ever <laughs> represented. Yeah. So he stood yeah. out. Um, I could not possibly be like Bernie because I was born in Britain. Mm. Um, so there's a different experience going on. Um, I came into Parliament at uh, a time when that was big, things were beginning to open up for black people. We had a Labour government. Mm. Um, there was optimism. Um, there was an air of fairness and tolerance and multiculturalism around. Uh, black people were emerging, yes, in, on, on television, and, uh, but, but they were there, they took their place and, in society, uh, but they were also turning up in senior roles in organizations and you know, private sector organizations and other things. It was a slightly different energy. Now, um, Tony Blair gave me this advice. Look, I'm not going to pigeonhole you on race. You know, avoid race. 
on, re- on retrospect, um, I know what he was saying, yeah. but I don't judge him for what he was saying. He was you know, being true to himself and giving yeah. advice. But what I meant by that is um, what I quickly learn is in this country, if you're in a representational role, you kind of have to be yourself. You have to, you have to represent people. And I, I certainly, in the, um, I would say, the last decade of my career, which is also um, um, happens to be the period in which Labour have been out of office yeah. as well, have absolutely done what I've wanted yeah, yeah, to yeah. do. Uh, I, I pursued the subjects I cared about, yeah. and those subjects happen to be consistent with my 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 constituents, yeah. uh, the things they care about. Um, I have not run from race. Mm. I don't care if people think I'm tweeting about race or talk about race every day. I don't care. Um, I, I, um, issues like social mobility, poverty, deprivation, who gets to go to Oxford and Cambridge, um, standing up for the Windrush, standing up for people in Grenfell, those have been my issues. Those, those are me. Anyone who knows David Lammy well knows that that's the sort of thing that animates me and gets me going. So... Um, it's harder in government when you're young and you're a young minister because you go where people put you, where the prime minister of the day puts you and what he wants you to do. You have to pick up a lot of the, you know, not always the great stuff. Yeah. Um, you have to learn. I'm now sitting here as a very experienced politician. Mm. Um, I've been in this business 20 years. Um, I, I, I know how politics works. I know the... The, the, the strengths and weaknesses of my own political party. Um, uh, I've seen the ups and downs of British life. And the truth is, I'm also in a different place in my life. Both mm. my parents are dead. Mm. Uh, my mother died in 2008, my dad died in 2003. I have three children. Mm. Um, uh, I have a wonderful wife. And the truth is, I don't need resources. I mean, of mm. course, I don't want to be poor, but I am comfortably yeah. middle class between my wife and my income. So the other thing I am is free. Yeah. I'm one of those rare free black men um, <laughs> that um, I, I don't have to crawl up anyone's backside to mm. get where I need to be. Mm. I am where I need, I need to be. Uh, of course, I, oh, I want to be prime minister, I want to be mayor, I want to be this. But even that, I sort of resist because you then have to crawl up someone's ass to get there. And uh, so I insist on doing it my way. If things come my way, then great. But if they don't, they don't. And, and so that's put me in this unique and fantastic place in my life on a uh, professional uh, and personal level where I, I guess it's just wonderful to have so many people approach me and thank me for what I say and what I do just for being me. <laughs> but, you know, I think in terms of therapy and in terms of the way life works, it's funny how, um, so if you can just find you and be you, how That's successful one can be, point, yeah. um, sort yeah. of thing. Um, it's interesting because um, particularly around politics, I remember as a kid learning about, poli- I did politics as an A-level, and the thing that struck me was that being an MP, you kind of have to toe the party line for the most part. Um, and that was always a struggle conceptually for me. Um, and I, I was listening to your interview with Krishnan Guru Murphy at Channel 4, um, and you pretty much just said what, what you said now. So this isn't even a question, I'm just mm. talking now. Um, but um, yeah, kind of living in your truth. And I think, as you said, you're so much more empowered 
when you when you do you and people recognise you for being you rather than when you're sort of... However, there is a however to this because I've done events with minority youth particularly. I did one in Cambridge University this week because it's Black History Month. Mm. And the young person was saying, you know, you know, at Cambridge, it's like this, it's like that, and I want to do this about it, and I don't know. You know, and I had to say, hang on, hang on a minute, you're, you're 21. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, what I want you to do at Cambridge yeah. is to get a first yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to do well. Uh, you've got, you know, I'm sitting here age yeah. 48. This is a different story, yeah. you know. So I, I think that, yeah, let's not rush out the gate yeah. here. Let's get the basics right. I meet way too many um, young black people who are just starting out and the burden yeah. of we've got to do something for knife crime, we've got to do something for that, we've got to do something. And they haven't even found their own feet yet. Mm. And I think that's a real, again, that comes back to this business of being a minority. It feels like no one else cares, so I've got to do something yeah. they're saying to themselves. But actually what you've got to do is attend to you mm. and, and be on a path yourself yeah. and, and also understand that we make choices. I... Um, I'm in public life, my party's not in office. Mm. Um, what you have when you're an opposition MP is you have your platform, your voice. Um, and so that's what I'm doing, I'm using it. Mm. Um, things might be different if Labour are in power, yeah. but if you're in a local authority, your job's in a local authority, or you're in a private company, or you're in a school, or you're... You're in an organisation. You you are unless you're running the organisation. Yeah. You're not going to be able to um, be in your truth the whole time. Yeah. You, that's just yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. So come to terms with that. Be real. Yeah. 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 Um, I have a billion questions I want to ask you, but I am very conscious of time. Um, so I'm going to try and start wrapping it up. For you, is there a life after politics? Um, do, you see, do you see yourself being an MP or in Parliament for the rest of your life or, or are you kind of riding the wave? What, 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 what's next almost? Uh, the truth is I, I do live very much in the now. Mm. Um, I, and I, I'm in politics. I'm obviously a member of Parliament, but I also have my second book coming out mm. next year. I have recently done a documentary for Channel 4, which will be on television shortly. Um, there's another one in the pipeline. Um, I've got a third book idea that I want to write. Mm. I get called and asked to speak um, um, all over the world. I'm going to Australia in a few weeks, which is a country I've come to love, um, not because I love Australia per se, but I love going and supporting the Aboriginal community over there mm. in their fights, particularly in the criminal justice space. So I'm able to do quite a number of things that I find personally very rewarding. Yeah. Um, I, it matters to me because my dad left me at 12 to be there for my children, my, mm. my, my kids. Um, my youngest daughter is adopted. Mm. Um, um, and um, so I, I uh, so my love of Spurs is important to me. <laughs> so I live in the now and I'm hugely rewarded today. Um, 
I don't think I'm going to be in politics forever. And that's partly because, I'll be honest with you, I came in very early. I was 27. Uh, And there are incidents I've experienced in politics. The riots, Mm. Grenfell, Windrush. That, if my mum was here, she'd say, you know, they've taken years off your life. Mm. That's how she would put it. Um, um, and that's definitely the case. So I think that I, I cannot stay in poverty because there is a burnout at some point. So, um, um, yeah, but, but I'm very fulfilled at at, at the moment. I'd like to lose a little weight. I mean, Brexit has, (laughs) again, is incredibly stressful. I've been at the forefront of that. The abuse these days, the threats these days, oh, all of that does take its that. toll. Um, I mean, I keep going. I mean, I have a faith. I have a Christian faith yeah. that's also important to me. So, um, but, you know, when holiday time comes, I'm often in the Caribbean mm. um, or the States. I find um, the black communities of the Caribbean, going back to Guyana, going and seeing friends in New York and things incredibly. It's, again, it's like soul food for me. Mm. Um, um, and I don't, uh, even though it might appear that I live 100% for politics, um, I actually, I love film and cinema. Um, um, you know, I love going to the movies. I love my box sets with my wife. <laughs> I love Spurs. And I love fishing in the Caribbean. So there's a whole range of things beyond the stuff that people know me for. Yeah. Um, honestly, I do want to ask you a billion questions. I've even got meetings to go to in half an hour. So um, I'll kind of wrap it up. The, the last two questions I ask all of my guests um, are one, I'll ask you the first one and I'll ask you the second one. If you could go back to, you're speaking to an audience of millennials. If you could go back to when you were 25, yourself, what advice would you give yourself? And 25 just being an arbitrary age for your younger years, but almost when you were a millennial, quote unquote, at our age, what advice would you give yourself? That's a very good question. I mean, I think that I would say, um, don't settle. I think, you know, follow what you what you believe you are good at i think it, i mean i'm lucky i'm i'm doing a job that that plays to my strengths mm-hmm. that many said i couldn't do that i shouldn't do were worried about um i'm not i haven't got the income that i might have if i'd remained a barrister and was a qc by now but i'm still very comfortable yeah. um um, I followed my truth, so I think it'd be something about that. Mm-hmm. And but understanding you have to be resilient, and that there will be some tough days. But if you're pursuing it, and, and, and it's tough. Um, and I think I'd say something also about recognizing that there are mentors along the way that you can ask for advice, that you can keep going back to. Don't be afraid to get in people's faces. Um, don't be afraid. I mentor a few young people over the years and the ones that persist even though I'm busy will you please see me will you please see me will you please see me and they come and see me and they you know are the ones that I've seen over the years do well the ones that sort of back off and are a bit shyer or whatever have done less well in a way so um yeah mentors advice persist you know in the end it's your life 
you have to live it. Um, and you have to be comfortable with the decisions you've made, you know, towards the end of it. To be honest, you kind of answered the second question and the first question, because the second question is, what advice would you give millennials? And you kind of uh, wrap that up. But is, is there anything else you'd, you'd speaking to, to, to my audience almost, is there anything else that you, you think that we need to hear? Well, it goes back to the point I made a moment ago. Don't run before you can walk. You have to attend to yourself before you can attend to others, really. And um, uh, you know, that does take time. And um, that, that, you know, I think that's, that's important to, to grip, particularly if you're listening and like me, you are, your parents have got, not got money to help you. They've not got networks. You have to kind of build your own. Mm. Um, so you can't be in the business of, um, even though you might like to, of charitable endeavor on behalf of others yeah. and when others, because you, you, you have to attend to your own. So we're all born in different circumstances, but, but I remember that feeling of impatience. I was impatient but I'm now in a position in my life to really make a difference yeah. in the lives of others yeah. in a way that was not the case at the beginning of my political career um, and certainly was not the case at the beginning of my legal career. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for, for, for speaking with me. Um, really appreciate it. Um, to my guests and also just as a wider point, I guess, to you as well, um, I'm, I... I'm overjoyed to be doing this podcast in general. I get to speak to very interesting... You're definitely the most high-profile person I've spoken to, but I've spoken to, you know... It's interesting because I, I, I feel like I'm piecing together black British history or modern black British history. You know, hearing you speak about Stephen Lawrence, I've spoken to uh, the former CEO of the Stephen Lawrence Foundation. I've also spoken to someone within the... Uh, who was one of the founding members of the uh, Black Police Network and hearing about sort of the Stephen Lawrence case and, and, and what happened from all these different perspectives. Um, one, it, it, it's great because I feel like I am piecing together our story to some extent. I kind of feel like um, it's important to be in control of, of the narrative. Um, and I think increasingly being black and British is more of a thing. Um, and by that, I mean that um, I think when you were growing up, certainly, um, and even when I was growing up, kind of people would identify as Nigerian and British or Guyanese and British or whatever, but especially as there's a lot more mixing happening in terms of different co countries. Um, and also as a black British identity is, is, is forming a lot more strongly, I think it's very important that we kind of start to take control of that narrative. And so um, also on top of that, I think it's very important to have the role models that you spoke about earlier. Um, and again, the blessing of this, but I've spoken to footballers, I've spoken to uh, clinicians, I've spoken to just all sorts of people from a huge range and diverse background of things. Um, and um, it's really great to hear people's stories because I think when you hear people's stories, that's really how you best connect. You know, as, as you were talking about um, 
you know, where you grew up in Tottenham. I'm sure some of my listeners are in Tottenham and can relate to the things that you're saying um, and other and other guests that I've had. So um, thank you so much for, for, for thank coming you. down and talking Great. to me. Keep and going. Um, Definitely will do, definitely will do. Thank you so much. Cheers. Great. Great. Fantastical.